Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name's Joshua. And I'm Grayson. The date is September 23rd, 2016. And this is Episode 2, Beyond Hats and Bats, Tips for Mass Gathering Management. In this episode, we discuss some of the challenges involved in the planning and management of mass gatherings and offer up some tips on how to address some of the lesser-known elements of mass gathering emergencies. We're also extremely lucky to have an interview with Neil Stubbs, a 17-year member of the Calgary Police Service and the Logistics Coordinator for Calgary's Public Safety Unit. In this interview, he'll share his planning and response knowledge to mass gatherings across Canada. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current Relevant Canadian. Mass gathering management, that is the planning and response to crowd events, whether they be spontaneous or anticipated, celebratory or more protest-driven, is particularly interesting because of its applicability across many different EM disciplines. Mass gatherings really can happen at any time for a variety of reasons, and the principles behind effective management of these events are applicable not just to concerts and rallies, but also to other disaster-related gatherings such as evacuations or reception centers. That's right, and I have a bit of a personal interest in this topic uh, as I went through the public safety unit training in Calgary. And how was it? Uh, It was really good. It was different than what I was expecting. Uh, I was sort of expecting to learn about the finer points of putting on riot gear and using a baton. Um, But instead, I was faced with this highly cerebral and sometimes quite academically challenging course. Uh, It included things like the legal aspects concerning the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the crowd psychology, uh, and the actions of so-called groupthink individuals. Mm. There's some higher level concepts for mass gathering management planning, and even some pretty complicated physics to do with the force that the crowd can produce and the way that people get uh, injured within crowds. Oh, interesting. Yeah, all of this really opened my eyes to the complexities of mass gathering management and got me wanting to find out more. And to that end, let's uh, listen to the interview with Neil Stubbs. Right on. Hi, my name is Neil Stubbs. I'm with the Calgary Police Service. I've been part of the public safety unit since about 2002. And my current tasking within that unit is the logistics coordinator, which Sounds fairly limiting in in some capacity, but for the most part, I kind of am the jack of all trades within that unit. I deal with operations plans, um, I deal with the logistical side of things, and just kind of keeping the unit running uh, day to day. So what is the purpose of the public safety unit in Calgary here? So our our total mandate, or our mandate within Calgary, and I need to be clear that this is Calgary's mandate, not anybody else's mandate. Our mandate is to be proactive versus reactive. Our mandate is to work with our public and try and create the event that they need to create. We want to create a safe environment that protects everybody's fundamental rights to protect underneath the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Um, Our job is not to crush crowd events. Our job is not to shut down events based upon political agenda or anything along those lines. For us, we truly look at who do we serve, which is the citizens of Calgary, and how do we make everybody have a voice, whether that's business or whether that's a protest group. And we may not agree with the protest group, but that's not our place. Our place is to be neutral and our place is to allow everybody that opportunity to have success with what they want and get their messages across. And that's kind of what we want to protect. And we want to make sure that everybody has that opportunity and do it safely. What sort of training do they go through for that? Um, in order for these guys to be part of the public safety, they go through a rigorous selection process. Um, with that process, we check uh, psychological compatibility, fitness. Um, we check just their overall performances within the, within the Calgary Police Service. 
and then from there they, they engage on um, we call it an 80 hour course but by the time the student's done it's closer to about 100 hours of, of training and it may not sound like much but the training is quite intensive and it's designed and focused mostly to aim towards uh, the worst case scenario uh, when it comes to crowd control uh, so we're looking at guys in full riot gear going through extensive physical fitness, extensive mental testing, and being able to work and function within a team. We do get into some of the psychology and some of the science of crowd management and that kind of stuff with these guys. Um, but over the course of the 80 hours, they're put through their paces. And that, that timeline there kind of gives the guys a good foundation to start their career in the public safety. And, and from there, throughout the rest of their career, they continue to grow and develop in those areas. Why do you think it's important to have that extra training? Can't anybody just throw on some riot gear and, and go and be a public safety unit police officer? What's the difference between regular policing and PSU policing? One of the key differences in policing is police officers are always put in a state of decision-making processes and trying to assess and read the crowds and, or read people in general. And those, those can become down to simple indicators of, you know, someone wants to commit an act of violence, and we can look at bladed body stance, we can look at a thousand-yard stare, clenching a fist, really typical things we see in an assault that's going to be occurring to us. But what we don't teach regular police officers is how to deal with crowds. And crowds in themselves have their own unique behavior, and people within crowds have their own unique behavior. And some of the funny things with crowds is that they can be overwhelming to officers. We can see them go into what we call a code black or just basically they go into a shutdown mode. So one of the key things with having public safety unit officers is that we expose them to these kinds of things on a regular basis so that when they get into crowds they're not uncomfortable and they start to realize that crowds in themselves are not harmful, that no matter what the situation they're in, whether it's a concert which is completely festive and fun and great to be at, or whether it's a protest, they can look at them objectively, they can look at the threat indicators and say uh, how they need to behave, whether they need to escalate or de-escalate. So that's kind of why that training really becomes appropriate is that we want to make sure we as a service are putting the right people forward into the right situations. Is training considered part of planning? Training, is a, yeah. training is a huge part of, of our planning. Um, when I look to plan what we do and how we do things, the more training people have and the more certifications they have, the more that means that I can employ them to different tasks. We, well, when we get into a crowd situation, you have to trust your people. You have no choice to do that. And without the proper training, these guys are going to react as they see fit. And if I, in order to actually work a crowd, to manage a crowd, whatever that situation is, I need to know that the operators working in there have good understanding of what a crowd's going to do, both on the scientific side as well as the reactive side. And the scientific side sounds a little, it's, it's quite dry, but once you understand how a crowd behaves and moves, you can apply good tactics to it. And whether that's just a simple case of how do we move a crowd around a choke point, or how do we move a crowd through doorways, right down to an actual, say, a fight or civil disorder within, within an event. So those kinds of levels of training really become important for us. So some of our listeners might not have the, um, the, the policing background that you do. What sort of tips can you give them in terms of planning for a mass gathering or even just a concert or a large event that would come from maybe the, the PSU background? Well, one of the first things that comes to mind when we start planning events, whether we look at, again, look at a crowd situation of a concert, a festival, which is lighthearted, lots of fun, great crowd to work with, or whether it's civil disorder. 
we look at a few things there, and the first thing is that you cannot function by yourself. You cannot, the Calgary Police Service cannot do their role strictly by themselves. We need our partners. We need other people in the emergency management field to help us. And where it comes down to, if we take a look at an example like a concert, especially an outdoor festival, which Calgary has a lot of, we start looking at those things and we're going, we as the police can look at it and go, how do we, how do we have good site layout? How do we have good understanding of how crowds move and that kind of stuff? Put in those plays, but we build a relationship with the promoter or with the venue to say, these are our concerns. Then they turn around and we spend the time working with them to try and alleviate those problems. But we bring in the fire department, and the fire department then brings in law to support them, but also brings in their expertise or relationship building, as well as trying to make an event safe. At the end of the day, our goal is not to shut down an event. Our goal is to actually make the event as safe as possible for every person in there, and that in the event the unfortunate happens where we do have a disaster strike, stage collapse, um, medical, whatever it is, we as first responders can get in and deal with it, but also we cannot have a total shutdown or a total impact on the entire event that maybe the event can keep functioning while we work out of a small corner. Can you give us any examples about of uh, specific events where maybe over time uh, these sorts of planning details have changed either the space or? The Calgary Stampede Grounds has this great venue called the Coke Stage and every year during the Stampede they put on free concerts. When they first started putting these free concerts on they, they, they started drawing huge, they started drawing larger crowds um, but one of some of the things that we started to notice in that is that we took a look at the square footage, did some measurement, worked with the fire department, and tried to figure out an occupancy load. We started finding out the occupancy load is around seven to 9,000 people, which is, you know, in a small area is actually quite a bit. But we're starting to notice on counting that we are getting upwards of twelve and 15,000 oh, wow. people in there, which is now putting that area into critical crowd density. So we started seeing some of the other issues in there. And in order to make you know, a place like the Coke stage look great, they put in things like Pedro fencing, they put in light standards, they put in benches and lots of stuff like that. And one of the hardest things sometimes to deal with is more of a political side of what we're trying to do with safety in regards to operations, especially with the stampede grounds. When we look at we're trying to create a safe environment for their patrons and they're trying to create an exciting, fun environment for their patrons. So the goal at the end of the day is the same, but how does it look to get there? So through conversation with their risk management group, and it's not something that we come up to them on the 11th hour and say, you need to remove your Pedro fencing, you need to remove your seats, you need to remove these things. We spend the time building up to it and going, these are things we need to work on. It's that slow eroding process, and by the time we get around to the event, they see it. And one of the other things that we, we did is we invited the Stampede Grounds to take crowd management training with our guys. So now not only are our guys learning, but they're learning it. And then they start seeing it through different eyes. And we really encourage that, especially in the public safety unit. We'll open crowd management training to uh, security groups. We'll open it up to outside agencies. Anybody who wants to learn, we are not opposed to teaching that kind of stuff. We, we, the last thing we want to do is take things that we deem really important. And it's not a tactical skill, it's a, it's a safety skill. And how do we get it out to everybody? And if we can teach it, and that just makes every more event safe, then that's what we're going to do. That's fantastic, that integrative approach to crowd management, especially in recurring um, things where it's basically up to us to, to learn from the mistakes, learn from past events, and apply it to the next one. Stampede, like you mentioned, was a, a great example of that. Um, we also talked about the Red Mile. 
any particular learnings from, from that event? So the Red Mile, and for the people that don't know, with the Calgary Flames attempting to get into the Stanley Cup Finals, it's a bit of a joke with us here, <laughs> um, they started this run in 2004. And in 2004, uh, they had a very unique experience happen, is that a place called Melrose on 17th Avenue became a, a center point for, for basically a spontaneous gathering on 17th Avenue. And it started... Uh, within a few, within about the second round, and with that growth, what we started to see was not just the Melrose becoming a hub, but we started to see that after the game, influx of people were starting to show up to Melrose, both from the from the Saddle Dome, but also from the community. And then over time, what ended up happening is basically 17th Avenue became full of people. We ended up going from uh, maybe a thousand people up to about 50,000, 60,000 people on the street, which. You know, for the most part, and, and you look to US, major U.S. cities, it's not a big deal. But for, for Calgary, it's a big deal. And this is the first time we were experiencing this type of spontaneous event with this type of volume. And there's a whole bunch of factors when we look at these kinds of events and how we deal with them. I can look at it two ways. I can look at it as a very much uh, a hard-nosed policing way that, that 17th Avenue is a road. I need to keep it open for vehicle traffic, and we're not losing the street. If I, take a, if I take that approach to it, that means that I'm, at some point I'm going to be in conflict with public. That means law enforcement will have to be out enforcing the laws and pushing people back onto the sidewalk. When you start to add things of a, of a more dynamic nature, you look at our target demographic, 18 to 25-year-old males, consumption of alcohol, intoxication. Are we going to have the positive success that we want to have? High probability that we're not. What we're also going to have is a high probability of them lashing back and now we're going to get into a state of violence. Violence unfortunately leads to broken windows, leads to fires, leads to flipped cars, leads to people being assaulted. So we have to weigh in the, the cost of it. We also have to weigh in the impact of it. Do we look at shutting 17th Avenue down to vehicle, vehicle traffic for four to five hours a night, every other night for the course of a couple, for the course of almost two months? Or do we go in and as I like to say, we like to crush this and we'll put in a heavy law enforcement practicality. If you look at the modern day of what we're starting to see in the, on the world stage, riot cops are constantly being put against the civilians. It doesn't matter which way we paint that in light, we don't have the support of the media, we don't have the support of the public. Are we a necessary evil? Yes. But let's do the proactive side of things versus the reactive side of things. And so I'd rather spend the time, and the Calgary Police Service did this, they spent the time and they said risk versus gain, and you know, it's better to give the, give the people the street, and let's make this the safest environment we possibly can. Does that mean that the public safety unit was not there? No. Public safety unit was back, away, with full equipment, ready to respond, ready to deal with anything that we need to deal with. Because if we don't plan for that, that leaves us in a shortfall. If we look to every major sporting event, especially if you look to the U.S. As, a, as an example of that, or even to Vancouver, I'm sorry Vancouver, but if you look to that, there are indicators of what will happen. There are indicators of potential problems. And when we don't plan for those problems, we get ourselves into trouble by not putting the right resources in play. You touched on a lot of really important features there, including common crowd demographics, um, the sorts of political uh, or even maybe chemical fuel that these these uh, people have. What are some common elements of spontaneous events we can start with that you see over and over again? Well, the first thing with spontaneous events is they're unpredictable. 
right off the bat. Uh, we don't know when they're going to flare up. We don't know what's going to drive them. And that's, that becomes the hardest thing as planners to try and work around because it's, we're always on the reactive side of somebody's, somebody's actions. But some things that we have to look at for these spontaneous events is what is our group? What are our demographics of what's showing up? And that can be everything from cultural to religious to sporting and festive. Everything we look at is a, is a fuel versus a spark. And what we have to try and do is manage the fuel. We have to manage what might, what might kick this off. And we've had many events in Calgary that could have uh, turned into horrible events um, based upon the fuel that's on the ground. And what I mean by that is we deal with cultural, religious difference and different ideologies. People are passionate about what they believe in. That never changes. How do we manage that and how do we make it safe? So as a planner, when you're looking at these things, the modern news, what's going on, who's doing what in the world stage impacts your community. It may be halfway across the world, but if your community's tied to it, they will feel it. It's managing your demographic as well, knowing that there's going to be alcohol, knowing that there might be um, violence or anything along those lines starts to become becomes the issue as well. And who do you put in there? Um, and when it comes down to putting people or resources and officers, for us it's officers, but for other people, whatever you're putting in there, being sure you're putting in the best people. And that really is a... It's such an important part to know who to put in there because it becomes down to who you trust. You put the wrong people in, situation may go, may get worse. Put the right people in, and it may not become a situation, and it just becomes a great event. Yeah. What about uh, more organized events like uh, rallies or these sorts of things? What sort of uh, pre-planning can you do in terms of info gathering or meeting with people? Well, when you look at you look at planned events, they are. They can be quite interesting sometimes on how you, you deal with them. And I've had the fortune of planning many, many events in that regards. Everything from G20 for the Calgary Police Service response out in Toronto all the way up until some of the more recent things in this year. One, some of the things that we always come down to is a saying that I was taught by one of my instructors when I learned incident command is that the devil is in the details. How the event goes down to is, is how well you put the details into your operations plan. And without those details that is what will get you into trouble. Unfortunately, as a planner, a lot of times we have very little time to plan a spontaneous mm-hmm. event, especially the Calgary Police Service. We may be told within you know, two days, three days, trying to plan an entire operation. Um, and some of it becomes quite, quite laborsome. Um, other events I've had the opportunity, I've planned um, an event that was involved with the white supremacist group and the anti-racist action group a few years ago. That event there hinged on a lot of details that we didn't have intel on on the day. We didn't know until basically all the players were moving in the morning of. But now it became a case of having to keep these two groups apart and knowing that if they got together, there'd be an act of violence Mm -hmm. committed against them. So how do I end up separating two groups? The key becomes transportation. How do the people get to and from event? And that was what our entire operations plan hinged on. Unfortunately, that day, they decided to take the C train down, and we were able to monitor that with using our partners, so using Calgary Transit, using their security cameras. We were able to see that they were coming down. We knew where they were long before they ever hit the downtown core. The nice thing about that is then we control the train, and we had them stop where we wanted them to stop, not where they wanted to get off. And when they got off the train, they were met by our mountain bike team. Not in an adversarial way, but in more of a 
hi, how are you? We're going to be escorting you today, and we're going to be helping you facilitate your protest. Are there any other take-home messages that you'd want to um, express to emergency planners around Calgary or around Canada? Um, some of the things that I would look to is take your training with a, a grain of salt, and there's a lot of information out there that is that can lead you in different directions. But there are some things that are always common that never change in a crowd, never change in, in people. And one of those, that demographic is a big thing. Understanding your FIST model, and we talked about that earlier, and, and understanding what those FIST principles mean, and that'll help you plan a crowd event. Bringing in the right people and humbling yourself to say, I do not know enough on this subject. And then it's hard sometimes as emergency managers or as first responders to say, you know, a civilian knows more than we do. But sometimes they do. So trust your people and understand what your people can do for you. And that includes both people who work for you as well as people around you. Thank you very much, Neil Stubbs, uh, Sergeant in the Public Safety Unit and Logistical Coordinator for the same. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me in. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk. Well, that was a great conversation. I think as a emergency planner, these are can be very difficult events to sometimes get your head around, and uh, sometimes just knowing where to start, how to planning these events can be difficult. I really liked his approach to understanding crowd behavior. You don't necessarily need to know why a crowd acts the way they do in terms of crowd psychology. In fact, there's an absolutely overwhelming amount of uh, literature out there, some of it quite conflicting. But knowing the signs and symptoms, the things that frequently happen, very important. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it sounds like a lot of the tenants from emergency management in general, um, like having a good integrated approach, working with your partners, those lessons seem to hold true. The other thing that struck very uh, close to home for me anyways, is this idea that uh, these are predictable events. Mm, yeah. And so it's incumbent upon the planner to plan for these understood and, and well-documented uh, crowd behaviors that can become dangerous. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, in EMS, we used to call motor vehicle uh, collisions MVAs, motor vehicle accidents, now they're MVCs, motor vehicle collisions. And it's a bit of a mind shift that these aren't necessarily, you know, quote-unquote acts of God that just are totally uh, uh, unpredictable, that there are warning signs if you know what to look for. The other thing we touched upon briefly in the, the interview is this FIST model. Yeah. Uh, this is a widely accepted model. It stands for uh, force, information, space, and time. It's a good way of looking at the things that can cause crowd disasters and also addressing them in your mitigation and planning phase. Talking about the force, this, yeah. is, uh, this is addressing the actual physical forces behind crowd deaths, so crush injury and, and this idea of being as asphyxiated by the crowd. Right. Uh, so it's um, amazing the amount of force that can be exerted on, uh, for example, metal railings. They're just a twisted mess after really? everything's said and done. And that's how people end up uh, having fatalities during crowd disasters. I thought it was more like a, like a stampede phenomenon. Yeah, that's interesting. That seems to be what's reported by the media most often. But it's actually the compressive asphyxia, the cumulative force from the entire crowd um, that ends up being the biggest issue and not trampling. I kind of like the... Uh, uh biological model that you hear about you know we're individual cells but we when you put a whole bunch of cells together they, they act differently you know form a tissue it seems like that approach is 
talked about. Absolutely. Crowds. And that also speaks well to the information. So the eye and the fist model. Uh, people in crowds often act around the information that they have in their, their own little cells. So you can view crowd as a big mass gathering or you can view individual cells that make up a crowd. Maybe it's a group of people that arrive together and they're acting on the information that they have based on where they are in the crowd. And we can affect that. There are, there are apps for that. You can use the, the PA uh, system to influence the amount of the information that they have so that they can take actions based on correct information. And what's the S for? The S is the space, so the okay. physical venue. Very important, understanding that uh, not all barricades are appropriate barricades for crowds, making sure you know where your truck points are, making sure you know um, where your leakage points are and your escape routes, your, your emergency vehicle access, egress, these sorts of things are critical to plan for. Uh, and then finally, time. So the, the time speaks more to um, crowd reaction. So if it's a, a quick entry or exit, whether it's an emergency or maybe people are moving very quickly towards an object of value like a souvenir or, or a famous uh, individual, um, the amount of time that you have definitely changes both the force of the crowd and the dynamics of the, the event. So Great, great. Yeah. So the FIST model, F-I-S-T, that's a good uh, handy mnemonic uh, for mass gathering management planning. Uh, I assume, uh, Grayson, you've got a, a reference or something because we're evidence-based on this show. Yeah, and that's from uh, John Fruin's The Cause and Prevention of Crowd Disasters. It's a, a paper uh, written in 1993. One of the things, I mean, I, I have found this with, with pre-planning is it can be very hard when you're, you know, sitting in an EOC trying to conceptualize and visualize things. Sometimes just a site recce or a walk around is is all you need to kind of figure out what's, uh, uh, what the, the real situation is. It sounds like from an interview that was an important part of pre-planning. Hugely important because you don't actually know until you go. You don't know if there's construction. You don't know if uh, there's been a water leak and all of a sudden your, your uh, ground is just a big mud pile. You don't know these things until you're actually on the ground and, and spotting them. Um, so taking the time beforehand to go out and scout is very important. Great. So it sounds like uh, in terms of the predictors of what events are high risk for bad things, if there's a fuel, we talked about like alcohol being a fuel, um, I assume that different uh, uh, events and political motivations can also act as a fuel to kind of agitate the crowd. Yeah, he talked about these three things that I, I think is a good little pyramid of mass gathering management. Um, the demographics of the, the crowd or whoever is there, okay. uh, the fuel. And then finally, the spark. Um, we didn't talk about that a whole lot, but in many crowd disasters, there is an agitator or an aggravator, someone who is there to hijack the protest, uh, per se, and really steer that crowd into a, a more aggressive uh, method. And interestingly enough, even in non-protest situations, uh, this can be inadvertently done by the performer. So I'm a little bit ashamed that I, I know this, but uh, Justin Bieber didn't show up for uh -oh. a concert at one point and caused quite a ruckus. And it is incumbent on the performer and, and as well as the planner to right. make sure that the, the people in power, whether it be the performer or the police or whoever, um, knows what the responsibilities are. And it is a responsibility to show up and, and do what you say you were going to do in front of thousands and thousands of people. So. Yeah, I, the group, kind of group think mentality. Well, I like that. That's a useful model. I think the firefighters in the crowd will appreciate that. It's kind of like the fire pyramid. You know, you, you consider each aspect and hopefully mitigate uh, one of them uh, uh, when you're doing your planning. 
Quite. A, a lot of interesting things from that interview and the complexities around mass gathering management. And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast, Beyond Hats and Bats, tips for mass gathering management. A huge thank you to Sergeant Stubbs for agreeing to an interview for this episode. If you'd like to know more about the Calgary Public Safety Unit, you can see the link in our show notes. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production. As always, this production is designed as a supplementary educational tool for the emergency management professional. And the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not in any way represent the agencies or organizations that myself or Josh are employed by or may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, please visit our website at epicpodcast.ca. And feel free to follow us on Facebook at Epic Podcast, all one word, or send us a tweet at username Epic Podcast. Until then, I'm Josh. And I'm Grayson. This has been Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. Current, relevant, Canadian.